From RealGhostStoriesOnline.com, this is Real Ghost Stories Online, the podcast. It's group therapy for the paranormally affected. Phone number to call in is 855-853-4802 with your real ghost story. Of course, you can write into us as well on our website, RealGhostStoriesOnline.com. Comment on the forum section. Uh, all sorts of ways for you to communicate with us here at Real Ghost Stories Online and communicate your real ghost story to us or uh, share your input on the stories that you hear on our show. If you are not an EPP yet, you listen to the show frequently, we ask that you become an EPP and uh, help support the show. And uh, you also get an extra podcast. That's what EPP stands for, Extra Podcast Person. Every single week, we send out an extra podcast to those folks uh, who are making a uh, financial contribution every month towards our show. We ask it's five bucks a month, and uh, you get uh, the bonus episodes every single week. And uh, we really do greatly appreciate it. Without our EPPs, we could not continue on uh, doing this show. It uh, helps us uh, financially do the show and uh, covers all those costs like bandwidth, websites, phone numbers, etc. Those sort of things, which unfortunately are not free in this world. So uh, thank you in advance uh, if you are going to become one. And if you already are one, thank you so much. On today's episode, some follow-up and including a new call from you know her as Kelly the Dishwasher Lady. Is she not upset with us? Uh, no, she's actually calling in tonight. Okay. With an update for us. Good. On herself, on her situation. Um, our last update we had was from a friend of hers that uh, posted on the, the forum section. Right. Uh, with some kind of, for lack of a better term, strange behaviors, if you will. Right. Being exhibited. Um, but uh, we got an update from her. So we will hear that shortly on the show tonight. And... Uh, See what's going on in her world. And if, if you're just joining us, if you're new to the show, uh, Kelly called in several episodes back. And for the life of me, I can't tell you which episode it's on. Our listeners are much better at knowing what's on what episode than we are. Somebody please post in the forum which episode that is. <laughs> they are. They are so much better at that than we are. Because we do the episodes and we're, you know, we move on to the next one. Um, and I can I can tell you what we talked about, but I couldn't tell you what episode it was talked about. In Anyway, she called in a long time ago. Uh, probably at least 20, 30 episodes back uh, with an initial call that we thought was someone doing their dishes while they were on the phone. And we were kind of rude to her because it sounded like she was being rude on the phone. It sounded like someone was constantly clanging dishes as they were trying to tell their story. And I just got so frustrated because I'm like, are you not thinking you're on the phone here? Stop banging things right by the phone. Well, it turns out she wasn't doing anything at all. Um, there was EVPs throughout that entire call that were essentially, it sounded like kind of prohibiting her from, from getting her story out there and distracting us from her story quite a bit. Yes, it was. Um, so that was the initial call. Uh, and she called back later saying, I wasn't doing anything that really puzzled us and, and disturbed us as well. Um, and in her case, fairly dark. You can listen to some back episodes, check the forum. Um, I'm sure someone will put up there, uh, or even on this episode, I'm sure on Facebook or on YouTube, someone will say the previous. You can listen to it on, on X episodes. Someone please do that in our community. Who knows what episode that was on? But uh, she's uh, she's calling in to give us an update on her situation because things got fairly dark there. Right. And the last we heard was from her best friend who posted on the forum and yep. we talked about that. And the last I knew through her best friend was she wasn't even listening to the show anymore. Yeah. That she, for whatever reason, um, didn't like the show. And she before, I guess, was a real avid listener of the show. Right. So we were kind of puzzled by that. Um, 
but that's not what we were considering no. the strange behavior. Yeah. The strange behavior were other things that she was doing. Yeah. So we will uh, we'll get an update from her in just a little bit here at Real Ghost Stories Online. So please uh, sit tight for that. A couple other uh, comments from some past stuff. Penny says, I once worked at a mental health facility in the 80s, and I firmly believe many of our patients were either uh, haunted or simply possessed. Certainly there were those who were uh, ill, but there were times when I would sense a presence in the room. Of course, this was an old hotel that was haunted as well, but it's my opinion that some were dealing with real demons, not figurative ones, but real demons. I could see that, and, you know, that being misdiagnosed as some form of mental illness or... Mm -hmm. Or even extreme case of schizophrenia. I bet that's really common, honestly. And in no way am I saying that mental illness is not real, because it certainly is. But, you know, I bet that exists quite often, and it is missed. Right. And ne- and neither are we saying that mental illness is demons. No, by, by any means, not at all. But I'm just saying that there's probably cases out there where people who are, in fact, mentally ill get plagued by demons as well. Sure. On top of whatever is going on with him psychologically, chemically, uh, probably also some extra things in there. And not in every case am I saying that either, but I'm saying it's probably a great place for really dark things to swoop in, torment these people, because then whatever they complain about just gets written off as, well, it's because you're whatever, you know, insert diagnosis here it's almost a comorbidity between mental illness and hauntings it's it they just go hand in hand yeah i mean and it's it's interesting where you hear of so many cases of haunted mental institutions like abandoned ones too mm-hmm. that's really interesting to me because there's a lot of folks who went in there and never came out um you know they eventually just died in there and where did the demons go Right. In those cases, you know, are those the demons that are haunting some of those facilities? Were they the ones that were at some times and in some cases literally plaguing a patient at one point in their life? Well, I think part of it, too, is and and I'm saying this because I'm going into the field of psychology. But the thing is that up until, you know, fairly modern <laughs> history was not very, it was not very humane the way yeah. they were treated. Well, I mean. and, and even too, if you look back fairly up until modern history too, it was looked at as demons, literally. Right. I mean, it, it, it was like it, it went, it's almost, uh, it's interesting how we're, we're looking at this on, on this show where we went way back where they thought these people are infested with demons and they didn't understand mental illness mm-hmm. and, and what that was and chemical imbalances that are in people and what's what can actually be wrong with them. Right. Um, and then we got modern medicine and they could understand that. And then it, everything in the otherworldly realm realm is completely dismissed. And that doesn't exist. And I'm thinking in some cases, some of it does exist. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Thank you for that uh, that call, Penny. Um, I wonder, you know, today, um, you know, we we talked with um, a lot of mental health professionals about. Uh, we talked to some psychologists and therapists and counselors about how they deal with um, uh, patients or, or or clients that uh, bring up the idea of a haunting, right? Um, and and how that is handled. 
I would be interested to hear folks who do work in, in like a mental health facility today. Do you ever get the feeling, and you can call, call in completely anonymously, do you ever wonder if there are, in some cases, some patients who have more going on than just a mental illness? I'd be interested to know that because a lot of, um, well, I won't say a lot of, but there are certain types of mental illness that can produce a hallucinatory effect. Sure. And how often are hallucinations truly hallucinations? How often are they actually the patient seeing something Mm -hmm. that is there? Well, I'm wondering, too, beyond the hallucination uh, or them seeing an apparition of some sort uh, of paranormal activity physically happening that's witnessed by the medical staff sure. around maybe a patient that they suspect has something more going on than just a mental illness. Right. I'm, I'd be very interested to hear that. If you, if you work in that field and you like to call in anonymously and share uh, some of those stories, we would, uh, we'd love to hear it. Get your insight into that. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our phone number. 855-853-4802. Of course, you can always write into us as well at realghoststoriesonline.com. Let's go to a call. Hi. Hi. Um, hello to everyone, uh, and Tony and uh, Jenny. Um, I noticed that you folks have been talking a lot about um, saging and the way Native people sage. So I thought I'd throw in my two bits of experience um, and people can use it for what it is. I stayed at a uh, group house for Aboriginal women. Those are Native uh, people of uh, North America. I'm in Canada. We call Native people Aboriginal. And um, they were generous enough to let a non-Aboriginal, such as myself, stay there. Um, the short of it is that the place was haunted. Um, it became apparent, very apparent to a woman who was the daughter of a holy man, or what, uh, what people would call a medicine man, and it became apparent to me. Um, this spirit did not like small children, and it had already um, killed an infant in the house on a, before most of us moved in. Um, what the, they had to do, the house was owned by several bands of Indians, which were subsets of tribes. They had to have a holy man, they had to have us out of the house, have a holy man come in, and for a week, he smudged, which is smudging for Native people is um, the burning of sage. But at the same time, he cleanses himself spiritually before he does it, and then he burns the sage. And he said our problem was we had a smudging room in the basement where women who were not cleansing themselves spiritually were burning the sage. The shorthand of it is, according to Native people, what happens is that um, when you burn the sage, you, uh, the prayer is to call down the spirits. And you will call down the spirit of whatever your deepest intention or emotion is. If you're angry, or you're angry because you're stuck with kids, um, it'll call down those kinds of spirits. And so the holy man said, close off the smudging room and don't allow any of the women to smudge themselves, to, to do smudging themselves. So just a caveat, according, and that according to uh, a native holy man, um, you're not 
it's, it's very unwise for um, people who are not holy men to try and smudge or burn sage um, because it does have the effect of sending out whatever intention you may have in yourself. Uh, you might want to approach an Indian band in your area and ask the advice of their holy man, not people who present themselves to you, and to get the word from him about smudging, which is what burning sage is. Okay, I hope that's helpful to someone, and God bless you all. All right, bye-bye. Well, thank you for calling in with that. And, um, you know, once again, it's kind of like, unless you know how to do it right, it's it's not something you probably want to mess with. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's one of those things where you, know, you can hear a ton of stories about it or how somebody used it for this or that. And uh, their outcome may not always be your outcome. And unless you know what you're doing, uh, which... Just listening to other stories about other people and what they're doing. You know, like we, we tell, we've heard stories of exorcisms and things of that nature on the show. But most of, most of us with a, uh, a sensible mind are not about to go out there and try and perform an exorcism. Right. You know, um, I think, you know, it's the same with, uh, with smudging, with any of that. Unless you really have experience in that and you were taught how to do it one-on-one by someone with experience in that and, and you're knowledgeable, I don't think it's something you should just naturally practice. As much as I would like to start selling Demon Away in a bottle, <laughs> um, probably not going to happen and probably not a good idea. As a product to purchase, should I ever market and sell Demon Away? But wait, if you call now, we will throw in Ghost in a Jar absolutely free. So you can have... Rounds of fun. Let it out. Smudge it away. Let, exactly. Then let, it, let out. it out and smudge, smudge it, away. it away. Exactly. It's uh, set it and forget it. There you go. <laughs> let it out and forget it. And yeah, exactly. It's like the Ronco product. He'll probably buy it out eventually. And you'll see it on Sunday morning infomercials. And they'll give away a juicer with it as well. I always wanted to get the uh, the Miracle Blade. Remember the Miracle Blade infomercials at all when we were kids? Was that the one where they tossed food in the air and sliced it? Yeah, well, that might have been the Ginsu. Because oh, okay. Ginsu is pretty big, and then the Miracle Blade. And Miracle Blade was a Ronco product. And the Miracle Blade, um, they uh, they were cutting, like, shoes in half and, like, metal pipes. And what I was most excited about was the, but wait, if you call right now, we'll give you these juicers absolutely free. And it was, like, the little plastic juicer that you jam into an orange and then you squeeze the orange really hard, and then the juice just magically pours out of the orange. Yeah, I'm sure that worked wonderful. I was the cheapest pieces of shit you could get. But I was like, oh my gosh, we should really get these knives. Because I thought, oh, that'd be great. You could just squeeze an orange. And of course, on the infomercial, they made it look like, oh, it's just amazing. Like, oranges, you know, just, oh, you know, jars of juice pitchers coming out of two or three oranges. You know, and they were, the whole audience, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think I didn't pass my essay on TV course. <laughs> I used to watch these things, and I would just get sucked in. Yeah. I never bought anything ever off the TV, but sometimes I would just sit there and watch them for like, I don't know. It was almost like therapeutic because it was just such, just nothingness. Just, the only uh, ones I liked were the, the music collections. Oh, I still watch those. <laughs> I love those. Especially when you can find like a Time Life music one. And it's like Time Life music, 80s R&B with such hits 
as Michael McDonald. Okay, Fogel. All right, stop. You know, it's great. Roberta let's, Flack. Let's talk about ghost stories. <laughs> That's a ghost story right there. It's scary, but it's not a ghost story, so <laughs> let's move on. 855-853-4802. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Robert uh, from California. I called in way, or I didn't call, and I wrote in way back uh, when the podcast first kind of started. And I had really had a story about um, some of the houses I lived in growing up that were haunted. And the one that uh, you guys mentioned was uh, the house that my parents currently live in. They, in one of the basement bedrooms, um, we've had multiple times where people have seen uh, dark figures. And you guys asked what, uh, what maybe would have happened there before uh, we lived there. Well, come to find out, um, from speaking with my mom, come to find out that they, we knew that there was some people who lived there who were really heavily into drugs. There was a lot of abuse, uh, a lot of physical abuse, and a lot of mental abuse, uh, especially towards their children. Um, we found that out later, and um, since then, I spoke with my mom, and she actually mentioned that um, when my dad is away from for business, she will not be in that basement by herself. Um, she will not be in that basement by herself ever. And that was very interesting to me. The other thing was, um, she also mentioned when we lived in the Florida Keys, that my brother, like he had before, mentioned who was that man in the hall. She said that she turned, looked, and there was definitely a man in the hall who was holding a, like a beer bottle. He looked intoxicated, took a drink, and then slumped against the wall and fell down. Uh, the next time she looked again, he was not there. Um, those are just a few of the experiences that we've had. Um, a couple of things I'd like to um, bring up that you had mentioned, um, why the 3 a.m.? I did a little research on that, and the one thing that I found was apparently 3 a.m., is a hot time for supernatural things because apparently it's the exact opposite from the death of Christ. Um, I have issues with that just because what time zone are we looking at? Um, another thing that was brought up in an episode just barely was um, the pastor who told um, a young man that the veil would be uh, the veil would be lowered so he wouldn't see people anymore. Um, you guys asked a little bit about what that means, and I don't know if anybody's ever addressed it. In some religions, we believe that there's a veil between us and the, the afterlife. Um, with that veil being lowered, that just meant that he wasn't able to see them anymore. It was it's just harder. Um, I hope that answers some questions. I will. I know how much you enjoy old ships, Tony. So I'm going to call back a little later and relay the story of my experiences with the Queen Mary down here in Long Beach, California. Um, so until then, thanks a lot for a great show. Bye. I'm looking forward to that call very much, sir. Thank you for clearing up the veil thing. We, I think we had heard that on just one call. And hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Robin. I started and it again. There we go. Sorry. Continue on. <laughs> and I don't think we, either of us were familiar with 
with what that meant. No. So I'm glad you cleared that up for us. Um, I'd heard the the exact opposite of the, is it the death of Christ time is what 3 a.m. is? Yeah, it would be the opposite because uh, I believe it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, okay. So then the opposite would be 3 a.m. And a lot of demonic things tend to be opposites. Um, sure. You know, as far as symbolism goes. And we've heard that before, but, you know... It, I've it, also heard it's the three. It's mocking the, the Holy Trinity. Yeah. Um, so there's a, pro, there's a lot of, I think, things that go into that as far as symbolic, um, you know, terms go when it comes to dark entities and, and dark spirits and such. But I think regardless of why, we can kind of agree that that is definitely a busy time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm just writing down his number so I can find it again, because <laughs> so, I really want to hear the Queen Mary stories. Um, yeah. So I want to make sure that I can find his call. We, we had a lot of calls, so just trying to trace them back to who's who is, is tricky sometimes. Uh, 855-853-4802. 855-853-4802 with your real ghost stories. Uh, another uh, response back about uh, some dreams. Interpreting dreams can be a bit tricky, and not all your dreams mean anything. There are just n- nonsense. Usually... The ones that you have during sleep are the ones you need to pay attention to. When recording it, just write down something simple, like, for example, being at school and being reprimanded or having an argument with a neighbor. Just general impressions. You don't need to get too many details unless you think they're important. It's probably true. Yeah. As far as trying to recall a dream and bring it back up, I think a lot of times, you know, you you have such a small window, but if you can write down some of the bigger picture thoughts that may be easier than to dig back into the details if you can put some key points out there really quick on paper right after you have them. Have you ever tried doing that, like writing down dreams? I haven't. I should because I can't remember most, almost 90% of my dreams. I don't think I could read my writing in the morning. No. I can't read my writing usually. That's uh, true. When I write things down, more or less in the dark at 3 a.m. Yeah. You kind of write like a serial killer. No, I've always been told a doctor. I've never been told serial killer. That's interesting. Same difference, right? I guess so. Kinda. Okay. Yeah. 855-853-4802. That's the phone number. Hey, the, the gentleman who works at Heathrow Airport in London, and he said he was going to write in with some uh, some more info on some of the hauntings there. Okay. He's written in with some more infos on some of the hauntings there. Good. I want to hear them. Uh, it says, Tony and Jenny, good day to you both. Hope you and your family are well. I emailed you a f- few weeks ago. And said, I would really, uh, uh, I would relate to you an experience I had while working the night shift at Heathrow Airport near London in the UK. So he is uh, calling in, or writing in rather, to do just that. I said in my previous email, please, could you please keep my identity a secret, uh, as I am sure the company I work for would not be happy I was telling you this story. Okay, so it was about 1984 or 1985. It was about 19 at the time. I've been working night shifts for a while, and I used to have to go from the hangar I worked into another hangar about 100 yards away. This hangar had four bays, two one side, two the other, with an office block and a cross between them. The bays were called North, East, and West, and South. To give you an idea of the size of one bay used to house a Boeing 747 aircraft, also known as the Jumbo Jet. The offices were on four floors. It was huge. Some of these offices had windows overlooking the hangar. I used to have to go to get aircraft check paperwork. The office 
uh, I had to go to was on the second floor uh, of the office. It was about 40 long by 40 foot wide. I had been doing this for a while, and I used my torch or flashlight to find my round the office, and I never used it, used to put on the lights. This night did not feel any different to any other night I had done this shift. It was about 2 a.m., and I made my way up in the lift to the second floor, got into the office, got to the middle of the office, and froze. I was petrified. I shone the light around and could not see anything out of the norm. I stood there, not able to move. I was so scared. I had the feeling something was watching me, but I did not feel a nice thing watching me. I don't know how long I stood there, but I remember thinking, if I don't get out of here now, I'm going to die. I backed out of the office and waited for the lift. I kept looking back at the door, waiting for something to come out of there, but nothing did. When I got back to my hangar, I told everyone there there was no way I was going back there myself. As you can imagine, they never let me live it down. But I never did go back there myself. I never heard uh, anyone else having this experience or anything similar. All I know is before the airport was built, it was part of Hunslow Heath, where the famous highwayman Dick Turpin was supposed to have robbed people. I also know the hangar was built about 1950. All the very best, Steve. You know, airports, again, creepy places. What do you think? That's interesting because he didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. It was just all 100% a feeling. Yeah. So what do you, I mean, what do you say to that? Is that a ghost experience? Is that a haunt? I mean, what is that? Um, I could see that being a haunting. Even if he didn't see anything, he felt a presence. And it doesn't sound like that's a normal occurrence to him. So that's why I would say it was a haunting. Because in other cases, it was just a normal night and also out of nowhere, on a normal area that he goes into all the time suddenly one day just bam weirdness mm-hmm. and then okay I, I i wish there was more to it yeah you know because it's it's really hard to classify that as a haunting other and not just you know he had a really weird mood or really something struck you as uh, i don't know i i wonder if he's sensitive in other situations Maybe he is and he doesn't realize it. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear if there's other places other than just there at that airport when you had that experience, if he sensed that in other areas. And if anything has ever materialized out of that, not necessarily like physically coming out of the air, but something happening. Or anybody else saying they had the same experience. Yeah. Be interesting. It would be interesting. 855-853-4802 is our phone number to call in to Real Ghost Stories Online. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Megan. I'm calling back. You had uh, played one of my stories recently and had a few follow-up questions. Um, So I am the woman who called in who had uh, imaginary friends as a child um, and ended up going into... Uh, therapy um, to try to address those issues and you all had a couple of questions in terms of if my parents ever believed anything paranormal was going on and uh, what happened in therapy Um, and I kind of found in thinking of the answers to those questions were really kind of some interesting stories within themselves Um, but to kind of start off so my Mom and dad did always believe that something paranormal was going on. Um, They had a number of experiences with me um, as a baby, uh, 
and small toddler that made them believe that. Um, but my parents had a rocky relationship and um, my mother, uh, they divorced and my mother remarried and it wasn't until uh, my stepfather um, and I had an incident that convinced him that it was a behavioral problem that I ended up going into therapy. Um, the reason why my mom and dad felt like they knew uh, was they both had a number of stories about uh, my great-grandmother um, who had died about two years before I was born, uh, that they sensed her presence around me. Um, and when I started to talk, I talked about um, my great-grandma as though she had been there when I was a baby. And uh, to this day, I still remember her taking care of me um, as much as I do you know, the other caretakers in my life. Um, and so they definitely they felt like they knew in that way. And then there was also a, um, a period of time that I did something that at I don't know that they had a name for it then, but now I know it to be astral projection um, and something that I still experience as an adult. Um, but I had a number of health problems and I had to wear braces on my legs, kind of like Forrest Gump, and I could not walk without them and um, was still in a crib. And around the time of Johnny Carson's monologue, I would my parents said that they would hear giggling and that I would come running into the bedroom or into the um, living room, coming out of my bedroom into the living room. Um, and then I would giggle and r run around with no braces, no problems, um, walking. And when they would kind of come, come to me, and I would run away back into my bedroom they would run right after me. They said, you know, that they walked into the door just a second or two after me um, and that I would be sound asleep in my bed um, or in the crib. And I guess not exactly sound asleep because they said I would still be giggling and kind of kicking my legs. Um, but the, they said there was no way that I could have gotten in and out of the crib. Um, so... That was kind of, I think, a, a neat shared experience that they had. Um, they sometimes joked about it being one of the few things that they could agree on was that I was a little bit touched. Um, the incident with my stepfather that end, had me end up in therapy uh, was pretty negative. It was, um, you'll recall from my story, um, one of my imaginary friends was a man in a rabbit costume um, who oftentimes uh, made me do uh, bad things to myself or dangerous things um, and by made it was um, it was always threats like if you don't do this something worse is going to happen to your family um, those kind of things um, but it was shortly after my stepfather had come to live with uh, with us and my stepfather was working out in the garage and I walked into the kitchen and there was a kitchen fire going on the stove. Um, and I remember, you know, being definitely like really shocked and, you know, I 
hadn't touched anything in the kitchen and I didn't know if my stepfather had been starting to cook something and walked away. Um, but the, the rabbit man was there. Um, and as I got older, like, um, these imaginary friends weren't as constantly present as they had been before. Um, but they definitely appeared to me a lot, at least a number of, you know, a couple of times a day at least. Um, and he told me to, and at this point in time, the fire alarms were going off. He told me to turn around, go into my bedroom and go into the closet and shut the door. Um, which of course caused um, a lot of it, it caused a lot of fear for my stepfather when he did. You know, he heard the alarms. He came. He put out the fire. He couldn't find me. Um, and like I said, he he felt like this must have been a behavioral problem, and he couldn't understand it because he felt like I was um, really friendly and accepting and loving towards him. Um, but that occasionally these things would happen that I would quote unquote blame on this imaginary friend, and he felt like it was um, you know some kind of passive aggression or something towards him. Um, and when I went to go see a therapist, I de she definitely acted like she believed what I was saying. I have no idea what she really thought, um, but she definitely talked to me like you know, like she believed me. Um, and we did a lot of visualization exercises to kind of make them smaller and smaller and smaller um, in my mind's eye. And I remember that it wasn't working um, and that uh, the therapist couldn't, um, couldn't get me to agree to it because I just as a child, and I wish sometimes we all kind of held on to this innocence, I could not tell a lie. I could not say that they weren't there when I knew that they were. I could not say that I wasn't hearing them if I was. And I remember um, one of the, the middle-aged man started saying to me pretty often, fake it till you make it. And then one day at therapy, my therapist said that, and something about the phrase, I think I almost like made it like a mantra, started to help me um, actually, I guess, get the visualizations to work in terms of I just started to feel like if I pretend they're not there, I can like pretend it away. Um, and the uh, two imaginary friends, the the girl and the middle-aged man, said that you know if I didn't want them there, they would go away, and they did. Then, um, like, I didn't uh, didn't have any trace of them after that. And that, but the man in the rabbit suit said that I could not make him go away, but if I tried, I would be cursed. Um, and he, I did try, and it did go away. However, uh, the next couple of years, um, strangers, friends, family, um, and even like clergy uh, members and a Reiki healer um, all told me either they sensed I was cursed or asked me if I felt cursed or made like a 
offhanded joke about me being cursed. Um, and to this day, I don't know like what came first. I, I had a very tumultuous um, few years after that and kind of still continued to in terms of my health and a good amount of depression and anxiety. And I don't know what came first. You know, if I, if I was just made to be um, someone who is depressed and has anxiety and associated it with, you know, these imaginary friends and other paranormal things or did paranormal things enter my life early on and and make me feel depressed and anxious and I don't know. It's something I still discuss with therapists and I've yet to find any therapist who has like completely denied or you know said that they do not at all believe what I'm saying. Um however, you know, I don't know how much of that is a tactic on the therapist and um but it's something that I still struggle with figuring out and it's nice to hear stories of other people trying to figure that out and um I definitely appreciate uh you all uh taking an interest in my story and uh I have a lot more. So um, over the years, I think you guys have been on a long time. I'm sure I can uh, tell you some more. Thanks. Bye. Well, thank you for calling and following up on your story. Um, I definitely remember that story about the imaginary friend Mm -hmm. in the bunny costume who's not good. That that one kind of stuck with me, and I'm glad she called and explained some things about that. And I wonder how often kids are legitimately seeing things and being told or scared into doing things or these entities are doing things and blaming it on the or the kid gets blamed for it and it's not a behavior problem you know how like she got blamed for it and had to go into therapy for it if there actually is something going on and they're just kind of like no really i didn't do it yeah i wonder how often that actually happens and we'll never know but i can wonder it's another reason why our children can't listen to the show because they'll just start blaming ghosts they're like no it happens to those kids on your show remember yeah and then we'll be like well (laughs) we already have one that thinks nothing is ever her fault yeah so (laughs) yeah we'll start getting ghost blamed for it um you know i think it probably happens you know it's very hard to say when and where because kids make shit up i remember making plenty of shit up Um, as a kid and adamantly denying it Um, and thinking for a long time most things were not my fault when truly they were completely my fault right Um, which is kind of part of you know being a kid but um, no I'm sure that happens you know because it's interesting that we get so many calls on this show from folks uh, I'd say more often than not where it's it's not starting out with this happened to me last week or this happened to me last year it's when I was eight or six. Yeah. Six seems to be a popular age for things to yeah. start happening. Yeah. It, it's usually, it's interesting because it does seem to be a lot of times before teenage years, mm-hmm. um, which is odd because we, we hear that, you know, the teenage years can be very uh, common, especially with girls to have like poltergeist type activity sure. and, and energies and things of that nature, you know, energy disturbances, uh-huh. lights turning on and off, things moving around, not necessarily... You know, entities manifesting themselves, but weird things happening. Sure. But it's it's that that preteen years where you hear a lot of the entities are talking to these kids. Right. Well, and kids are so vulnerable. Well, kids are vulnerable at any age, but at that age, you know, they 
they've only been in school a couple of years or or less and kids in classes with them are great one day and then mm-hmm. horrifically mean the next yeah so there's a lot of emotions being played with you know sure. and, and, and everything's new right and there's so much it's new so when you have something that's paranormal that's happening to you as a kid you don't know if this is normal or not it's not paranormal to them it's like oh maybe this is new maybe everybody sees these things sure <laughs> it's just a new part of my life yeah <laughs> the stranger that shows up in my, in my bed at the middle of the night and says things to me yeah that happens to everybody right huh? <laughs> you know i mean that's what i think a lot of kids probably would think yeah know? so uh 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call in another letter i recently visited the 9-11 memorial museum uh, on July 27th of this year, I walked through the exhibits. I constantly noticed an odor of men's cologne. It was very pungent, even though I wasn't always near any men. And these scents varied as I continued my way through the various exhibits. I thought it was strange at first, and I kept looking around me. As I tried to validate what I was smelling, attributing it to my husband or nephew who were with me, there was an overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of sadness and anger that came over me. And I immediately felt the need to say a prayer for the victims of the tragedy. I reminded the spirits that they would never be forgotten and may God bless them. The spirits got my attention with these various scents in order uh, they convey their extreme sadness or anger. And it occurred to me very suddenly that we were on sacred ground. And I was reminded by the spirits of these men that perished who would have worn cologne in their line of work of their feelings while this horrific tragedy occurred. Although I'm a spiritual and faithful person, believe me, I would, I never would have thought of this on my own. I truly believe the spirits there continually need our prayer and comfort, and they remind me personally of that. I was deeply moved. I've heard that before, uh, that there are very odd scents around that site that there's really no reason for them to be there logically. Really? In the physical realm, anyway. Yeah. I've heard the cologne thing as from a couple times. At the 9-11 memorial? In the, well, just on the grounds in general. Wow. Um, so, I mean, yeah, right where the grounds are, but just even within just the vicinity that there's that there's scents that are kind of unexplained. I'd never heard that. That yeah. is very interesting. There was that mysterious whistle for a while, but that was kind of debunked. Yeah. That was more so, it was wind. There's construction sites. Wind goes through things, and it makes creepy noises sometimes. And when it happens near a place like that, I totally get why people would be taken aback and be a little bit creeped out. Um, but I think it was really just wind. I Okay, the cologne thing, at first I wasn't buying it until you said that you know, you'd heard that before. Sure. Okay. That is strange. The overwhelming sadness and anger, I think would probably, probably go into being an expected um, couple of emotions to feel at sure. that type of location. Yeah. Now, if it's, if you're not a person that would typically get those kind of feelings at a place like the ground zero memorial, then, you know, that may be a little unusual for you and, and worth talking about. But I think that can be, especially, you know, if you're there end of July, that's that's not that far off from September. And the closer it gets to the time of the year mm-hmm. and the more things that feel like they did at that time, 
the more emotional you can get. Sure. And I just think that that may not be something that is paranormal. That just may be an, a normal human reaction. Well, yeah, I mean, for, it's such an emotionally charged event for any of us who were alive when it happened um, to get very taken aback by just the thoughts of that day and being there. Um, so, I mean, it, it's very, I think, natural to, for lack of a better term, have an eerie feeling, you know, around being at that site. Yeah. You know, or just, you know, when you, you, your mind gets brought, got, gets brought back to that day, if you were, um, you know somewhat of an adult at the time or an adult and you know can remember what that day was like and we're able to process it as an adult what was going on you know um i i i do wonder though um what goes on at that site you know when they were going through the construction process um when they were putting that memorial together and when they were building the new buildings okay um if they're was any sort of activity that was odd. Yeah. You know, unexplained. I won, you know, you'd almost think there would have had to have been. Yeah, I do. And then part of it, I think it's enough, and I hate to say the word creep, but it's enough to creep you out knowing that you're standing on the side of the probably one of the most horrific things oh, sure. it's that a, we've witnessed ever. Yeah. I mean, it, it'd be like doing construction on top of a concentration camp. Right. You know, where just a lot of people were ruthlessly murdered. It's, it's exactly what happened there. Right. Um, so I, 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 I wonder, and I wonder if there, any of those stories have come out. Um, and I've Googled that a couple times just to see, and I've seen uh, some various little things here and there. I wonder if any of our listeners have any firsthand experiences, uh, if anyone has, was part of the construction, you know, or still is, cause there is still a lot of construction going on in that area. Yeah. Um, and, and has anything they can add into that if there has been anything unexplained that occurred, um, through the, you know, the recovery going through, taking all that apart and then building something new there. If anything unexplained happened, yeah, because um, I just think it would be ripe for that sort of thing, and not to you know be commercial about it. I'm just curious, you know. Sure. Yeah, if anything did did happen uh, through this process, so if you'd like to weigh in on that, feel free to give us a call eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two is the phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online. Miss Kelly, the dishwasher lady, she called in. She gave us an update on what's going in, uh, what's going on in her world. Let's hear her call. Hi, um, my name is Kelly. You guys probably all know me as the dishwasher lady. Um, sorry, I'm kind of nervous. First time I've been able to talk on the phone in a long time with people actually being able to understand me. Um, thanks to some family that I totally forgot about, they have actually helped me out quite a bit. Um, and I'm so far, everything has been a lot better this past week. I'm actually, you know, obviously able to talk to people on the phone now, and you guys are one of the first people I'm deciding to call. Um, all I know from what had happened, um, was that I went over to some family's house there, Cherokee, Indian, and, um, I, from what happened, I was sitting in a chair in the room, um, in the middle of the room, and 
my family were sitting around me saying prayers and, um, like, almost in a chanting way. And I blacked out. And after that, I the last couple of days, I haven't had any issues, any blackout instances during the days. Um, my son is seeming sleep a lot better. And, yeah, so I will call back and give you guys an update again next week. Okay. Thanks for uh, helping me out with the suggestions. Okay, bye. Well, I have to say that's good to hear. It Very sounds good. like it was an exorcism of some sort. Yeah. Um, but that, that sounds very, very encouraging and positive. And I hope that, that things can stay on the right track for her. That was my fear when we got the message from her best friend. And I'm sorry, I don't remember her best friend's name, but she, you know, told us what was going on and stated that she was Kelly's best friend and that she was very concerned and described some of the very unusual behaviors that were going on. And I didn't want to say it on the air, but I kind of thought perhaps that whatever was in her home had taken her over. Yeah, uh, especially where it sounded like she went into the attic and sat there and stared for a while. That sounded like someone who's possessed. Right. Um, That's something that we've heard uh, in other possession cases uh, and stories of where the individual just kind of goes off and does that sort of thing. Um, and then has a big aversion to people bringing up the idea of some sort of demon being in the picture. And that might be why she kind of started to have an aversion even to listening to us. Sure. Because we do try it and help. Yeah. And we're pointing out, for lack of a better term, the obvious. Sure. Um, but to that, to, to Kelly at the time, I understand why it wouldn't be so obvious. Right. When you're in that state, it's one of those things where you're, it's not going to be obvious. That's why it's, it's called possession. Um, so, but it sounds like, like some friends or some family, as she said, got to intervene there a little bit and get her some help. So, uh, and it sounds like her son is a lot safer now. Yeah. So that's, that's very good to hear. Yeah. Thank you for that update, Kelly. Um, we, we couldn't be happier. I, I just, I hope things will continue to be positive for you. And I hope whatever it was and however it came into your world, uh, and I don't know if you know or, or if you were able to figure that out, but uh, if you can figure out what, whatever it was that brought that in, stay away from it. Right. Because although it may be gone right now, it could be brought back in if it's invited back in by whatever was going on or, or whatever brought it in. And the thing is, it may not have been you that brought it in. It could have been someone around you. It could have been something around you. I don't know. But, um, you know, be aware of that, that fact that it could come back. So, but, uh, so please do everything you can to, to stay away from whatever the hell that was. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that, that was not a good thing, obviously. Uh, thank you for the update and, and do keep us posted. 855-853-4802 is the phone number to call in with your real ghost stories. 855-853-4802. Hi. Hey, Tony, this is David from Sunnyside, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm calling because, uh, well, first I want to say I enjoy listening to your radio show. It's, it's a blessing. I listen to it at night. Freaks the wife out. Joe says, turn it off, and I keep it on and listen to it at night. Anyways, back to my story. About a year and three months ago, my brother died 
I'm 30. He's 28. But um, he died of an overdose of heroin, they said. My brother never did it before. Not gonna lie, he did some pills and whatnot. But the first time he tried it, he literally died. Um, so he died. My, I had a cousin who was about 45 or whatnot. He, he died as well about, I'd say nine months ago, about four months after my brother died, he died. But, um, he died of cancer. He, before he died, I leaned over, he was on his deathbed, and I leaned over to his bed and whispered in his ear, and I said, tell Ricky, I said, hello. Um, my brother's name was Ricky. A couple months later after he passed, or actually about a month after he passed, my wife had surgery, and she, after she got a surgery, you know, Right afterwards, they said, the doctor's like, you want to see her after surgery? I said, of course I do. So I was waiting for them to bring her back in the room while I'm waiting. And my wife looked like she's seen a ghost. And I'm like, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong? And she said, i seen Ricky. I was like, what do you mean you seen Ricky? And she said, Ricky was sitting, at, sitting on the pier with his feet dangling in the water. And it looked so sunny and beautiful out. And he was waving, and I was like on a boat or a canoe or whatnot. She's not sure what she was on, but the canoe or boats are drifting towards her. And she said, Ricky wanted me to tell you hello, and that he loves you and he loves all of us, and he can't wait to see us all again. What's really freaky about that is I never told my wife about my cousin dying and what I whispered to his ear. I never told anyone about what I told my cousin right before he died. And he literally died later on that night, early in the morning the next day. But um, my faith of believing God definitely diminished when my brother died. I thought, why, why? And um, I was getting really angry and sad. And uh, for that to happen, where my brother Ricky said, hello, and you know, he never said hello. He always like, yo, hi, what up? Something like that. He never said to say hello like that. And uh, here it come from my wife and how stern she looked and how sincere she looked about saying she see my brother Ricky. It just made me think there is a God. And honestly, I'm not the nicest or best person. And um, it made me think if there's a God... There's a heaven, and there's a heaven, there's a hell. And lately, I've been treading real thin on that line. So that's my story on that. I have one other quick, quick story. Well, it's not really quick, but I'm just going to go ahead with it. My, well, we'll just leave it at that. I, I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> Again, thank you very much for your show. Love the show. Listen to it every night religiously. You guys have a good one. God bless. Thank you for calling in uh, and sharing your story from the 
homeland, as I call it, the state of Wisconsin, where I'm from. Yes, definitely. Grew up about an hour from Madison, spent many a times there. So uh, I do uh, I do appreciate the Wisconsinites calling it. <laughs> um, that was a good story. That was. And that's interesting. I mean, sometimes, you know, I think it is the ghost stories that can... If you're questioning, you know, your faith or your beliefs and things of that nature, just the fact that these stories exist to make you have to go, okay, what is it Right. on the other side? You know, the fact that there is another side. And I think a lot of these stories prove that there indeed is the sheer amount of them and the sheer information that's, that's passed back and forth sometimes makes you go, okay, what? <laughs> there's got to be. And he teased us with that second story. Yes. So you have to call back in and tell us because you can't do that. Exactly. Hey, if you're not an EPP yet, please become one if you enjoy the show. It's a way you can help support the show financially because we have a lot of hard costs that go into keeping the show out there for you free. And if you like the show, five bucks a month is all we ask. You click become an EPP. That that means you're an extra podcast person and you're supporting the show. And we give you an extra podcast every single week as a thank you for supporting the show. You can do that through the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. Until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to Real Ghost Stories Online.